The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. Hey, everyone. I'm Gene Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Everyday Wealth. I had lunch yesterday with a new friend. She didn't feel like a new friend. We were in the same class in college, though we didn't know each other. But she reached out because... After getting a divorce, she moved to Philadelphia to be closer to her daughter, and we connected. And one of the things that we were talking about was this community of women, seemingly growing community of women who are over 50, close to 60, and looking toward the future, looking toward retirement, and thinking that many may be going it alone. And that's actually what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about navigating retirement alone, which is something that millions of people, again, most of them women, are facing by circumstance or by choice. It is a big chunk of the population. The Pew Research Center found that a whopping 27% of adults age 60 and over are alone. It is a cohort so big that we've started to give it names. We're calling these folks single boomers, solo agers, solo seniors, even elder orphans. Not my favorite, by the way. Now, sometimes alone can be great. When I want to chill in my bed and watch nothing but Hallmark movies, don't judge, alone is perfect. But there are also some pretty big challenges. The longer-term issues around care later in life, there are issues of loneliness, and of course, there are big financial issues to dig into. And so no surprise, that's exactly what we're going to do on the show today. To help tackle this topic, I want to bring in two of our resident financial planners, Isabel Barrow and Andy Smith, both from Edelman Financial Engines. Nice to see you guys. Nice to be with you in the studio. Hey, Jean. Good to see you, too. Good to be back. Several months back, we did a show on the so-called gray divorce. My new friend actually said, I got a gray divorce. And this was about the increase in divorces among baby boomers. We tackled a few of the related questions about going into retirement single, but it generated 
quite frankly, a lot more questions. We got a lot of emails from listeners on this topic, and I want to share a couple of them with both of you. By the way, if you all have a question that's amazing, you can send it my way and we will pose it to one of our financial advisors. Just go to everydaywealth.com and you'll find the instructions for sending it in. That's what Christine did. And she writes, please talk about retirement issues for single unmarried adults with no children. We're different. How can I grow my money faster? And what are the concerns for care when aging later in life? Emmanuel had a similar request. He said, my friends have families that can take care of them when they get older. I have no family. How much should I plan for the costs associated with living in a group home? Is there another option? And what other considerations should I be thinking of? Andy, this morning you were saying you've been getting so many questions like these. You want to share what you were saying? Yeah, I don't know if it was uh, if it was kismet or planning or, or what, but, uh, you know, in the last week have had kind of two different types of meetings with a fair number of single clients, right? So there's the kind of the traditional single retiree. Um, cash flow is a huge issue. You know, you've got one social security, you have one way to make this work, right? You have one set of retirement accounts. There's no coverage. There's no backup. There's, there's not some other net here to make everything work. Insurance really isn't all that big of an issue, right? Long-term care insurance is huge. It is the issue. It is a, it is a huge issue. And, uh, you know, just healthcare in general is a biggie. So you have these healthcare powers of attorney right? You have these living wills. It's vital that you have these documents. Both clients that I talk to, I've been on them for a, a tremendous period of time. They don't have anything. And what you have to realize is that when you're single and you're in the hospital or you have some sort of healthcare issue, you know, it's you against the world. But if things start to go south, all of a sudden it's the world against you. So that's kind of one set of clients. The other is kind of the, you know, we're single, but not really because we're kind of in a relationship and we kind of share expenses. So there's separate money. Um, sometimes there's family involved, but it's just this tremendous amount of, of data that you have to keep straight in your head as you're trying to figure out what the next couple of decades are going to look like for you being single. Yeah, I, and and I would hope that they're not keeping it in their head, right? You got to put that That's data down on paper at idea. some point. Isabel, you've got clients like this too, I'm sure. What are you hearing? Well, so I, I have clients that are, it's not only gray divorces, you know, it's if you are, you're recently retired and your spouse passes away or maybe not recently retired, you know, um, I think that people are single in retirement for a variety of reasons, but it raises from what I hear from clients, a couple of really major concerns, one of which, you know, in both of which you've touched on, but I think one of which is who handles my stuff if I can't, right? So you, maybe you don't have siblings or a spouse that can figure out your healthcare proxy or, you know, where's my stuff going to go when I'm not around? You know, who's going to take care of my estate? Who's going to make sure everything gets where it needs to go? And the other is, is exactly who's going to care for me? You know, if I'm older and I want to age in place, I want to age in my home, who's going to help? Who's going to take care of me? Um, you know, do I have to go into a nursing home? So there's a whole variety of factors. But I think another major one that a lot of women face 
maybe more so, uh, more often than men, is this sort of bag lady syndrome feeling. Mm. Like, I don't have a safety net to fall back on. Everything is on me, and I am scared. I am afraid that I'm going to run out of money. And because of that, they are less willing to take risk or to grow their investments or to do some of the things that would actually benefit them because it's easier to kind of stick their head in the sand and maybe because they're feeling like a little afraid about what happens to them because they're on their own. A lot of women like that in particular also just don't live as well as they could. They're afraid to spend any of their money. And so they just hold on so tight that they rob themselves of enjoying this nice life that they've built over decades and decades and decades. So you both mentioned a large number of things that we have to consider. I want to back off. I want to sort of take them one by one so that we can give people who are listening advice that almost takes the form of a checklist. You know, if you are taking notes, and I know people take notes as they listen to this show, these are the things that you really have to consider. So Andy, let's start with you. What is the number one piece of advice that you start with? Uh, I tell people plan their work and work their plan right? You have to have this personalized retirement plan because you have a very unique situation and a very unique set of goals. So rules of thumb, these magical online calculators, they're probably not going to cut it. And so I've always told people one size fits none when it comes to retirement planning and investing and everything else. That's especially true here. So realize as you plan your work and work your plan, you have this kind of personalized kind of set, uh, the, almost a roadmap in front of you, you have to realize that doing it yourself, this whole DIY approach is even trickier and possibly even more dangerous than any other time. Because you said this, right? You don't usually have anybody else at home to kind of bounce this around. So you have these kind of sets of trusted advisors, these professionals around you that you can talk to. You need professional help. You need this detailed, comprehensive, fully integrated plan that's going to cover all of the things that we talk about all day long, right? Investments. What's your withdrawal strategy? What are you going to do for Social Security? How are you going to accommodate taxes? For Medicare, what's the decision? Will you have a supplemental plan? What's the drug plan look like? Insurance, maybe not so much because there might not be somebody left after. But long-term care, the estate plan, you cannot wait for someone else to do this. You have to do it now. Nobody else is going to drive the bus for you. You have to be able to put these things together. And then once you have the plan... We don't just set it on the shelf and forget about it, right? We're reviewing it. We're updating things because as your life changes, you have to have a plan that accommodates your situation. When my father passed away, and it's been 18 years now, my mother was in her early 60s. I mean, incredibly young to be a widow. And they had always managed the money together. She really drove the bus, but he was her sounding board. And she said, I need a financial advisor because although she could talk to me, she felt like she needed a pro, like she needed somebody who would be in the loop with her, who would create the plan for her, who would check in on a, a regular or quarterly basis. And it's been a really important relationship for her for the last two decades, in part because as you were saying, Isabel, she did have an increased level of anxiety after my dad died. 
Yeah. And I think among the clients that I work with who go into retirement solo, they do have a higher level of of anxiety. And I have found that financial planning in and of itself for a lot of people, working with someone, uh, that can quell a lot of that anxiety. Because I think some of the anxiety comes from just the unknown. I, I don't know. So if I don't know, you know, then I'm anxious about it. But and if I do know, and I think I'm right, but now I'm questioning myself, there's like all of this kind of like inner voice that you're arguing with yourself about what's happening. And am I making the right decisions? And just having that financial plan, just knowing I have someone else to talk to, I have a plan in place, I can look at it, it's tangible, I can hold it in my hand, I know that it's not the permanent, the end-all be-all, it's just a piece of paper, but at the end of the day, it's something that I can look at that's going to help me feel a little bit less anxious and like I know what's happening. Just taking away that unknown factor, right? That is an easy way to help ease some of that anxiety about doing it on your own. So you need the plan and you need the plan with all the pieces, as Andy was saying. But there's also this emotional aspect to going into retirement as a person on their own. I mean, you when you leave a job, and I think that this is true, uh, whether you're single or you're not single, you lose this sense of community. Some people lose a sense of identity. It can be very, very difficult to go from having a schedule every single day to not having a schedule every single day. How do you help people through that part of the process, Andy? Well, I think the first thing is to to accept the fact that there's a very social aspect of your job, right? It's hard for some people to walk away from that. So, I mean, think about it. You're likely to spend more time with your coworkers than you are your spouse, okay? You may have coworkers who are good friends. And when you step away, when they step away, when you retire, you lose a lot of those relationships. You lose a lot of this kind of built-in social networking, right? This social interaction. So, what I do is I, I try to let my clients know that they're normal feeling this anxiety, right? You're not doing anything wrong. You know, you haven't made some mistake, but you have to know, number one, you are not your job. There is so much else to you besides what you do 8, 10, 12 hours a day. You have to be able to know that before you retire. You figuring out that you are not your job one month into retirement, that might be a little bit too late. Okay, so number one, you're figuring this out. And then number two, develop a social network outside of work. You've got other friends, you've got other people that you can talk to because all of a sudden you hit the eject button, these people aren't around. You have to be able to find a a regular and recurring way to get that interaction that you had kind of built into your schedule all along. You make it sound so easy. And it's not I, easy. It's no, terrible. It's, right? you know, especially you making just go fr- to the playground, yeah. you know, and be making like, hey, you want to be my best friend? It's incredibly <laughs> difficult, right? So this is not easy, but you have to, you run to the problem, right? If there's concerns, if there's issues, you don't bury your head in the sand and think that somebody else is going to fix it. Yeah. Right. 
You just got to do it. Yeah, I've been sort of front running this with clients that are getting ready to retire. Is it, Because we've been talking about this on the show, I've been thinking about this so much, talking to my husband about, you know, retirement is not just, you know, one day you just turn it off and it's everything you've been waiting for is is all of a sudden is there. You know, you've got to figure out what that retirement plan looks like and you've got to be prepared for it. You don't want to just walk out the door from work and be like, okay, well now what, right? It's just like this, it's a new phase of life. It's a new part of your life. you got to be ready ready for it, you have to plan for it. And like, maybe it's hobbies, maybe it's picking up a new language and going to a French class, or, you know, it's maybe planning out all that travel that you want to do ahead of time. But yeah, you absolutely need to figure out how you're going to replace this, the social circle, because one of the things that's really dangerous for people in retirement is feeling lonely. Now, I mean, you talked earlier about, you know, yes, laying in bed and watching Lifetime, being having a little bit of alone time, right? It's great. I have two little kids. If I ever get five minutes alone, it's literally the best five minutes of my life. I will just, I mean, I would just sit in like a dark room and just, you know, breathe quietly just to have some alone time. <laughs> but, you know, being lonely right. and having alone time are two completely different things. So, feeling lonely has actually been proven to be very bad for your health and something that we saw a lot during the pandemic is people, there was an epidemic of loneliness um, and something that the Surgeon General has actually released a big report recently on loneliness and equated it to smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. So it is really important, Andy, to your point, to find that social network outside of work. And if you can't, then maybe you need to have a part-time job that's going to give you a little more social interaction or something. You know, even if it's just working at the local dog shelter, have social interaction with the animals. I mean, some way to find something that is going to make you feel less lonely. Well, and this isn't anything that we haven't done before, right? Right. You're 18, 19, you're getting ready to go off to college. You have to force yourself or trade school or military service or public service, like whatever it is, you go from a four-year institution where you know everybody to, holy smokes, there's a, a whole lot bigger world out here. You go to your first job, you change jobs, you have a kid, you get married, you get divorced. I mean, you have gone through these situations before. With retirement, there's a potential that it's been a long time since you've been very uncomfortable. And so depending upon how long you've been at work or done what you're doing or in a relationship or anything else, you've got the skills. You have the ability. You just have to remember what it means and how to make these networks exist or otherwise, yeah, it's a, it's a tremendous health issue that you're going to have to work through. I grew up being very, very good at this. We moved a ton when I was a child. We, My father was a, a professor, and I grew up in five, six different states, changing schools every five or six years. And as a result, I was great at this. I could get into any elevator and talk to every single person. Drove my husband crazy. But over the last... 30 years, I lived in the same town and I got less good at this. And so when we moved to Philadelphia, this move was really hard for me. It, I mean, I, I'm happy that we did it. We're closer to family, closer to my mom, but my next door neighbor in my old town was like my sister. You know, I was in and out of her house multiple times every single day. And the thing that flipped a switch for me in Philly, oddly enough, I joined a gym. And I joined a gym that is a small gym where they 
greet you when you walk in the door. I, I, one of the trainers, I went yesterday and, and Josie, who is one of the trainers, was saying, is it really annoying when you walk in the door and we're all like, hygiene? And I'm, I said, no, actually, that's why I come here, right? I, I don't, I don't have a lot of friends there yet. I'm starting to meet people, but I come there because it feels like a place where because you say hello to me, I belong. And that, even though it's a really small thing, has made a big difference for me. I, I think that's what it is. You have to understand what type of person that you are. An old co-host of mine, we always used to joke that, you know, we would kind of consider ourselves extroverted introverts, right? You can talk in, yes. any, you can talk in any situation, right? You can do whatever you got to do. It's the whole Will Rogers. You want me to speak for five minutes? I need, you know, a lot of time to prepare. You want me to speak for five hours? I can do it right now. So, Understanding what type of person that you are is great, but you just have to realize that it's okay to be alone. You have to be able to put yourself in a situation, though, where you're not kind of going in this almost a death spiral mm -hmm. because you got nobody to talk to, <laughs> right. right? Because then when we meet with people, we're the first people that they talk to about this. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, our jobs yeah. become so much more difficult because we're going through things that probably should have been addressed a long time ago. Yeah. We can still fix it, but you need to be able to kind of bat this around with people. And you do that by putting yourselves out there at the gym, in other places, friends, hobbies, whatever it is, just start doing something. Right. And sometimes that can be just like where you live. Like to your point, Jean, you know, wh where you live, there may not be a community around you per se in the same building or in the same neighborhood, but you go to the gym. But there are places where you can move where the community is sort of built in. Maybe it's an over 55 community. You know, maybe it's a, a more retirement centric community. I mean, there's the villages, you know, I mean, how many thousands of people live there, right? So there's actually a trend of people, of retirees moving to places like Europe or Mexico or South America in areas that are maybe just more community driven. And I I know in my neighborhood, we have that, right? We mm -hmm. have the kids go from door to door and go play in one backyard to the other backyard to somebody's trampoline. And, you know, the neighbors are all sort of like family, you know, you can go into somebody else's fridge and, you know, get whatever you want. And it's just one of those neighborhoods, but that doesn't exist everywhere. So if, you know, if it doesn't exist and that's what you want, you may have to move to find it, to find that community, or maybe you join the gym or maybe you find a hobby or maybe you get the part-time job. But it is really important to, if you need that, and not everyone does, but if you do, that you find a way to live where you're surrounding yourself with people that are bringing you joy. What is nice to hear, though, is that both of you take your eyes off the money and help your clients with this part of the issue as well, because I think that might be surprising to some people. Oh, you could have a lot of money and be miserable. You no, know? but the I fact mean, that your financial advisor is yeah. going to talk to you about these other oh, non-financial issues. Yeah, if, you, if you're working with a broker who's just trying to push you some list of seven to 10 magical stocks that you got to own right now, and then all of a sudden he calls you a month later and sells you another seven or 10 magical stocks that you got to own right now, they may not care one bit about how you feel or what you're doing. We care about how you feel. We care about what's going on because the money we can figure out, the insurance we can figure out, we can figure out long-term care, we can figure out the investments and everything else. If your head is not in the right place as you make this gigantic leap from working to retirement, you got one chance to make this right. Yeah. You get one chance to make this work. And if you're not planning and putting all these pieces together and having somebody to talk to, you're opening yourself up for a tremendous amount of pain. 
We have to take a break. I want to say a big thank you to Andy Smith and Isabel Barrow for walking us through this. When we come back, I will be joined by an expert in estate planning. Thanks so much, you guys. Thank you. We'll be back. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second-guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. Welcome back to Everyday Wealth. Thanks so much for sticking with us This has been an incredibly popular topic among our listeners this summer, this idea that you could potentially be heading into retirement solo. As you heard during our last segment, there are a lot of financial considerations, but there are also a lot of legal considerations. And we got a question from a listener that I thought we would to Rodney Weaver. Rodney is a director of estate planning at Edelman Financial Engines. It's been a while since he's been here with us on Everyday Wealth. Always good to see you. Very nice to have you back. Thank you, Jean. Nice to be back. So here's the question that, that we got. It came in from Paul and he wrote, as a single person with no dependents, I was thinking about setting up a trust to leave to my nieces and nephews. My question is, how do I decide about the trust administrator? Are there commercial or private trust companies that manage the trust and investments, pay taxes, distribute funds, and perform other tasks? My nieces and nephews range in age from one to 35, and it's likely the oldest won't outlive the youngest. Complicated, right? I think this whole ball of wax when you are thinking about who is going to manage things for you when you are no longer there to manage for yourself is a really important one. It is. It's absolutely important. And um, one of the things that does make this a little bit easier is that there are banks and trust companies around the country, both big and large companies that hold themselves out and they will perform these types of trustee duties for individual clients. Um, Collectively, these are commonly referred to as corporate trustees, but they will perform those trustee duties that the listener wrote in about. They will perform the principal and income accounting. They will do the record keeping. They will pay the taxes. And most importantly, at least from a beneficiary standpoint, they will communicate with the beneficiaries and the trust company will um, perform trust distributions, either required distributions as it may be required in the trust document 
or what are called discretionary distributions or those distributions that are subject to trustee approval. A couple of follow-ups on that, Rodney. As you are thinking about a service like this, how much does it typically cost? It can run the gamut from a cost perspective. Um, The more you have in the trust that's being administered, the lower the trustee fee. These are usually done on a percentage of assets under administration. I've seen some of these fees that are under 25 basis points. Those would be for very, very large amounts inside a trust. But typically, you're probably looking at somewhere between, say, um, 75 basis points, upwards of um, one full percentage point of the assets in the trust for a trust administration fee. Now, they perform a lot of different services. So depending on exactly what someone is looking for, that may determine that overall fee. And when it comes to those more discretionary um, outlays from a trust, when you select a trustee who is somebody who is known to you or somebody who at least knows your beneficiary, I think you have some level of comfort that they are going to do the right thing by that beneficiary, that they're going to go the extra mile to make sure that the beneficiary is taken care of. How do you feel about trust companies filling that role? That is always a a great question, and that's where a lot of clients will hesitate before hiring a corporate trustee because the corporate trustees have an impression of being sort of cold and disinterested, which sometimes is exactly what you want. You want the trustee in some instances to be objective and to make decisions not based on emotion, which might be what an interested um, individual might do, a family member or a friend, but the trust company also it has a duty to do what's in the best interest of the beneficiary. So the corporate trustee is really looking at all facts and circumstances and drawing upon probably years, if not decades, of trust administration experience in terms of making those types of discretionary distributions to the beneficiaries. Now, one thing that I've seen that does work very well is really a co-trustee relationship. Maybe you appoint that family member or friend that really knows the beneficiary personally. They know exactly what is going on in that individual's life, and they truly understand how the trust assets will be able to be used in the best way to benefit that individual. But maybe your, your personal trustee doesn't have a finance and a tax background or legal background and might not feel comfortable administering an irrevocable trust. That's where the corporate trustee steps in. They can do all of the back office work, the tax reporting, the record keeping, things like that to make sure that the trust is administered appropriately and in the absolute best interest for that beneficiary. Yeah, sounds like the best of both worlds. What about someone, I mean, Paul, who sent in his question, had nieces and nephews that he wanted to take care of. Thank you for that, by the way, Paul. And if you've got a question, go to everydaywealth.com and and send it our way. We'll make sure that you get a, a really expert answer. But what about people, what about singles who don't have 
family. Are you seeing people setting up similar situations for friends or for charities? You know, when someone doesn't have children or family members that they're leaving money to, usually what I see are very small dollar amounts or very small percentages of an estate going to friends, but the vast majority of the estate is going to be directed to a charity or a a bunch of charities, a number of different charitable organizations. Um, And when I do see that, one of the things I always like to caution clients about is sort of how are they making those charitable donations after they've passed away? Um, If someone writes a charity and a percentage into a will or a trust, that's great. But over time, what I see are clients who want to evolve their their estate plans. They might want to change those amounts or the, the names of the charities. And if that's the case, they might have to go back to their attorney and have their documents updated, which can be an expense if you do this um, often enough. So instead, I, I usually try to encourage clients to use beneficiary designations on retirement accounts. It's a great tax efficient way of making donations to charity. Um, if they have sort of financial accounts, either bank accounts or brokerage accounts. They can use transfer on death designations, so accounts can transfer directly to charities. However, um, if someone has real estate, in most states, you cannot put a beneficiary designation or a transfer on death designation on real property. So in those instances, it can be better to maybe have a revocable trust in place because the, the client would want to avoid having to probate their estate. But instead of naming the end charities directly in their documents, maybe they make use of something called a donor-advised fund. And there are a lot of donor-advised fund providers in the country. They are all charities in and of themselves. And these organizations make it easy for clients to make donations to charities. And most of your donor-advised funds, they'll take virtually any asset, whether it's a brokerage account or a bank account or a house. Um, They usually try to make it really easy to take assets in so those assets can be converted sort of to cash and be distributed to the end charities that the clients care about. And usually the donor advised funds will allow their clients to preset the charities and the percentages that they want their accounts to be distributed to after they've passed away so that it can really be seamless in that after someone passes away, after their estate is sort of liquidated, everything's in their trust, everything goes from the trust to the donor advice fund, and then out to the charities that the client has already pre-selected. And it's nice, it's easy and seamless. I would imagine it's an easier way if you change your mind about a charity down the road to make that change as well. You can just take one off your menu and put another one on. I read a story in the Wall Street Journal recently about charitable trusts that you set up during your life with charities so that you get income from that trust while you're alive, and then the charity gets the principal after you die. Can you tell us a little bit about those, and do you recommend them? 
That's a great question. So I always like to educate clients and make sure they understand what their options are and then let clients make their own decisions. But if you're referring to a charitable remainder trust of some sort, either an annuity trust or a uni trust, these are appropriate if someone has a lot of money that they want to put into this type of trust to receive income streams, simply because these trusts cost an awful lot to create and an awful lot to administer over time. So if someone has a a tremendous amount of money and they really want to get into the details and have a lot of flexibility and how everything is administered, a charitable remainder trust might be the right option for them. However, if they're simply looking to benefit maybe their college or university they went to, but they want to receive an income stream during their lifetime and then leave the remainder amount to that college or university, most of your colleges or universities will offer something called a charitable annuity, and that is sponsored directly by that institution. They will have everything set up. They will give their client the rate of income they're going to receive based on how much they contribute to the fund, and they make it turnkey. It's just like buying any other financial product. They put money in, they get an income stream during their lifetime. If there were anything remaining from their initial um, contribution or donation, that remains with the college or university. I will also say there's one other thing that I always like to say, which is for any client that wants to make a charitable donation, that is great. I always want someone to sit down with their financial planner first, run the numbers, see what makes the most sense for them. Because again, if you're going to be giving away money and getting an income stream back, you want to make sure you can afford to part with the principal. And in some cases, I've talked to clients and they're better off keeping their principal during their lifetime because no one knows sort of what the future holds. So keep their money, use it if they need it, but set up a plan so that if anything, it remains after they've passed away, that that excess is donated to charity. We always are reading in the headlines at least a couple of times each year about some wealthy single person who left everything to their pet. Are you dealing with this on a regular basis or at all, or is this just the stuff of headlines? Um, Thankfully, in my experience, this is more the stuff of headlines. Um, I have seen clients that will set up a pet trust. In my personal opinion, pet trusts are usually not the way to go simply because if you do create a trust, it does create a formal structure. There's oversight, there's tax reporting involved. It makes life difficult for the pet's caregiver. Instead, I do try to counsel clients to say, if you want to leave money and pet to someone and you're confident that that individual is going to take care of your pet during your pet's lifetime, then leave the pet to that individual, leave that individual money to care for the pet. But 
don't account for that money any differently. Just make it a gift to that individual. And if the pet passes away and there's still money sort of left over, just allow that to be a gift to the pet caregiver. It just makes everyone's life a little bit easier from that perspective. I think the words easier and estate planning should go hand in hand a lot more often. Rodney, as we wrap this up, what's your top piece of advice for single people who just perhaps have not gotten started? My top piece of advice is for someone to sit down with a financial planner and an estate planning attorney and create a plan. It doesn't really matter what someone has. What really matters is that that individual has a plan in place to make sure that they are cared for first if they cannot make their own financial or medical decisions, and they should select the individual that is making decisions for that individual. But after they pass away, they also need to have a plan to make sure that any asset that they leave behind goes to the individuals or institutions that that person cares about. They need to have a plan in place if they want to have any control over any of that. Rodney, thanks so much. Thanks for stopping by. Come back soon. It was a pleasure being here today. I do hope you have me back at some point in the future. Thanks so much. And that is all for this show. I want to thank Rodney for being here and also Andy and Isabel. Of course, if you are facing a solo retirement, think about giving the folks at Edelman Financial Engines a call. Get some help planning the life that you deserve to live in retirement. And be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast wherever you stream your favorite podcasts or just visit us at everydaywealth.com where all of our episodes are available to you. Thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with me today, and we'll talk soon. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.